it's a fallacy to believe that great brands are created by the biggest budgets. As a matter of fact, they're not even created by the best agencies either. Nike started in a garage. Apple started in a garage. Zumba, we started with $2,000. So we don't have the best budgets. And they don't always count on the best agencies because they don't have the best budgets. And you know what else they don't have? They don't have the best products. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. As a listener of Superhumans at Work, thank you so much for tuning in, and I'm excited to announce an interesting innovation that we'll be having moving forward. See, now that we record these episodes, we actually have a live audience that gets to tune in and listen over my shoulder and the guest's shoulders while we record these podcast episodes. At the end of our interview, we always get a chance to bring some of these attendees to listen in, ask questions, and be a part of the show as well. You'll get to hear some of these questions towards the end of the episodes, so notice that you'll still be getting these amazing conversations about 20 to 30 minutes with me and the guests, and at the end, you'll have some additional content from the questions of our live audience members. Now, if you'd want to be a part of the live audience, know that this is something that is reserved for our all access members of Mindvalley. So to learn more on how you can become an all access member, go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, where you get access to all the learnings from Mindvalley and all of these extra bonuses as well. It's one of the best education systems you could participate in to live a truly extraordinary life. So definitely go check it out at mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman. That's S U-P-E-R-H-U-M-A-N. Thank you so much for tuning in, and let's get started with this first episode. Hi, everybody. This is Jason Mark Campbell, and welcome back to Superhumans at Work. Today, we're going to have an incredible episode with a man that I've seen as a mentor to me during my time while working at Mindvalley. Branding is a theme that is so relevant today because we are in the attention economy. Everybody's fighting for attention where companies, individuals are really trying to see how people can pay attention to them and stand out in the crowd. Branding is one of those tools that can really give you the edge. Some companies do it really well, and some people don't acknowledge the power that it brings for you. And this is why Jeffrey Perlman is going to come with us and share some of these important ideas and what you can do in the world today to really magnify the impact that you want to make by applying the science of branding. And if you're not familiar with this individual, he was the former CMO of Zumba Fitness, you know, that dance fitness movement that was really, really big in the early 2000s and still strong today. Well, he was one of the ones that was behind how it grew to being magazine's number one company of the year, and it grew to a valuation of over $550 million. Now, he left his active role at Zumba in 2014, and he was looking for new ways to create an impact. And it's by no chance that he found himself at Mindvalley being our lead brand strategist and has been the pivot behind making Mindvalley the world-class brand that we see today. What are the elements that he was able to inject? What was that trajectory? What are the things we might have missed at Mindvalley that we were able to implement once he joined the team? are some of the things that we're going to talk about with Jeffrey. Jeffrey, welcome to Superhumans at Work. It's such a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. Very nice to be here back with my tribe. Thank you for having me. 
It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I need to go back. The first time we met was actually at an A-Fest, right? And I remember <laughs> you were someone paying attention to a lot of things that most people don't even notice. And I'd love for you to kind of walk us back to that time that you first walked into Mind Valley and you decided to wear a pair of glasses that made you notice things around branding. What are the things you did notice and why was that relevant for you to notice that? Yeah, well... I build a very specific type of brand. The brands that I love are the brands that basically create new human beings. So Nike created the Weekend Warrior. Before Nike, people didn't jog on the streets. You didn't see that. You don't remember that because it was so long ago, but Nike created that identity. Apple created the creative entrepreneur. You know, before Apple, people showed up to work wearing ties and jackets and suits. And Apple created that person, that identity. Before Harley-Davidson, people rode motorcycles, but that Hells Angels biker rebel dude, that was created by Harley. So brands in a very real sense have the potential to move humanity forward by creating new identities for human beings to step into. While religion used to be the thing that told people who to be, not only how to be, but who to be, you know, since the scientific revolution that's been losing momentum. And so people are yearning for identity and often they're finding it in brands. So I love brands because they have the potential to move humanity forward. Now, most brands in the world have contributed to consumerism which has left us lonely, sick, and at the brink of extinction. But great brands have the potential to do the opposite of that. And so that's my crusade. And that's why Mind Valley, when I saw Mind Valley at that event, I noticed that it had the potential to go there, to go to one of those, I call them transformational brands. And that's not enough for your brand to be able to get there is not enough because often it has to be the founders and the leaders of the brand need to have the courage to go there. You know, they need to be guided by their brand, not by their balance sheet. And so in Mind Valley, I found both. I found a brand that can go there, truly go there, and a, a leadership team that has the courage to go there. So that's what was exciting. Amazing. And, you know, for all these brands you've highlighted that built these kinds of identity aspirations for the people that were, you know, consumers of that brand. You know, you talk about the rebels of Harley Davidson, like I'm pretty sure everybody, the moment you hear Harley Davidson, a caricature comes into your mind of who that individual is. And so when these companies end up having that kind of caricature, how much of it is it like naturally happening by accident for the virtue of what they're creating versus how much is it because it was clearly intentional? And is there like a gap at the start for companies? So that's a great question. A lot of it is unintentional. Most mm. of it is unintentional. But as with all great art, you know, there's a truth in the art that whether the artist knows that they're doing it intentionally or it's coming out unintentionally, the important thing is the result. So I don't study brands in the case studies of what they did. I study what happened. And that's more relevant to me. And so I was going to ask for someone like you, You've jumped into Zumba 
and you know you really help them nail what are the elements of the brand and we're going to go deeper into what are those elements in a few what i wanted to ask is what makes someone like jeffrey perlman be so obsessed about branding like did you just wake up and be like this is what i want to do like what pulled you into wanting to be such a specialist around this art and got you started in the direction well it's exactly that great brands are great art mm. but they're great art weaponized they're great art with big financial engines and look i'm an artist and i like the idea of moving people that's what great art does it touches the human soul it moves people deeply and you know as i started understanding what i wanted to do in the world well i wanted to build the biggest type of art the one that moves the most amount of people and so that is branding I love it. And so if I'm looking at a company like you've noted Mind Valley and you're like okay, they had the courage to do some things in a way that make them want to build a type of human being that is evolved that's in line with some of the transformation that I can already feel from you. You're trying to see which were these brands that actually push humanity forward. So there was a connection there. You even look at the companies like Apple or Harley Davidson, maybe not as connected to moving humanity forward, but they create a product and they have a certain type of person that they sell this product to. But then you can look at a company like Kawasaki or Honda. And they create a product. I mean, that's a competitive product to Harley Davidson or, you know, I can look at an Asus computer. Like they make great laptops, yet there's a different magic around Apple. Now, if I'm looking at Asus or I'm part of something like Asus or I'm working for a company right now that might not have started with all these amazing stories that you mentioned really come at the foundation from the founders of building a brand. Is there anything that can be done for a company to become this kind of lifestyle brand and is there some companies that maybe shouldn't even try? Yeah, yeah. So in my world there's three types of brands. There are functional brands, which are many of the ones that you just mentioned. So Honda sells motorcycles or motors whatever. Then there are experiential brands and then there are transformational brands. So the hallmark of the experiential brand is that it sells an emotion not an extrinsic reward the reward is intrinsic so disney sells magic while six flags sells a theme park six flags is a theme park brand in the us while six flags sells a theme park disney sells magic and because of that it's able to do so across multiple categories it can rise above the product category that it's in and sell magic in multiple areas and then there's a transformational brand which as i mentioned before is the one that creates identity so when some brands should not cross over from functional to experiential the ones that are highly functional right if you have a you're selling a functional benefit the problem is that in today's age we live in the age of ubiquity where you're now competing at a global scale and there's 100 people companies that do what you do most of the time you're competing on media spend on marginal benefits you know it's very hard to differentiate yourself and the way to differentiate yourself is to look for what is the intrinsic reward of your brand so i'll give you an example zumba used to sell weight loss like every other fitness company we used to sell weight loss and at the time i remember it was the the days of 7 minute abs and you know like all these high tech machines and how could we deliver more weight loss than them it was we were competing in a crowded space on marginal benefits purely on media spend we were like on a hamster wheel and one day 
we decided to look for what was intrinsic about Zumba. And we realized that it was the moment when the person gets lost in the music. That moment is the Zumba moment. And so we called that freeing electrifying joy, that moment. And then the challenge was to deliver freeing electrifying joy across our entire brand to be guided by freeing electrifying joy. If it didn't deliver freeing and electrifying joy, we didn't do it. And to try to inject more and more and more of that. Same with Honda and Harley, right? So Honda sells you a motorcycle, but Harley sells you irreverence, the feeling of being a rebel. And everything that they do, not only from a wallpaper perspective, not only the graphics and the colors and the fonts and all of that, delivers irreverence. I mean, I'm talking about the sound of the motorcycle, their decision of, you know, what products to create and what products to not create. They don't create a Vespa, a, you know, a scooter because a scooter doesn't, you can't be irreverent in a scooter. So, <laughs> so the great brands of the world are guided by their brand. Brand is not something that they fob off to their marketing department to handle. It's not wallpaper that you slap on your product in order to sell more product. It is the guiding principle of what you do. And more importantly, what you don't do. Mm. Apple doesn't release a, a cheap computer with 12 ports on it because that doesn't <laughs> deliver simple delight. They could make a lot of money probably in the short term, mm. but it would ruin their brand. I'm a big guy for motorcycles myself. So when I think of Harley Davidson, one of the most fascinating things that I think is based on that value system is the way they design their engine is actually baking into it an inefficiency that creates that unique sound. Mm -hmm. It's actually the engine being slightly out of balance that makes that unique Harley sound. And if they would want to say, hey, we're going to make a motorcycle that's a higher performance motorcycle than the perfectly tuned Honda then they would actually be out of brand. And so it makes them do these interesting decisions. And it also sounds like any brand that's going for this experiential or transformational type of, of branding, there's a lot more investment that needs to be put in place. Can you talk to us about what should a company expect if they're going for something that is a transformational or an experiential brand? How much more attention do you need to put into branding? Is it something that can be quantified? And you mentioned already, like you don't even hand it off to your marketing department. Do you have to set up an entire division that just focuses on that? And what would they do? No, no. So it's a fallacy to believe that great brands are created by the biggest budgets. As a matter of fact, they're not even created by the best agencies either. Nike started in a garage. Apple started in a garage. Zumba, we started with $2,000. So we don't have the best budgets and they don't always count on the best agencies because they don't have the best budgets. And you know what else they don't have? They don't have the best products. The best brands in the world do not have the best products, not always. So what is it that they all have in common? Let's take a closer look at Nike and Apple because those are the best brands in the world. What they have in common is founders that see the world through the lens of their brand. Steve Jobs was OCD. And because of that, he was trying to clean everything, always cleaning things. He was more proud of the stuff that he took off the iPhone than the stuff that he put on the iPhone. And because Apple is about clean delight, it has permission to not only clean up computers, but clean up phones, clean up digital music, clean up uh, credit cards, because they're beyond that. And Nike, well, you know, Reebok sells shoes. But Nike sells victory. And that's because Phil Knight was an athlete, is an athlete. 
he sees the world through that lens. So what all great brands have in common, again, is not the biggest budgets. It is not the best agencies. It is not the best products. It is founders that live in the universe of their brand. They see their brand so clearly that they become delusional. The rest of the world doesn't make sense to them. Only the universe of their brand makes sense to them. You can imagine Walt Disney living inside of the universe of Disney. He lived in there. At some point, the right people start showing up. When you've got that lens, you start seeing opportunities that complement that universe of the brand that you're building. So I am fascinated by brands. I can see where there's tremendous value for the ones that decide to go that path. I wanted to kind of take this in a different lens as well, because there's a lot of people that might be listening here that aren't part of a company, and they're trying to understand how could this apply to me? So I wanted to ask you, when you talk about these principles of being very conscious about what is kind of the values or the identity that a brand stands for, are there ways that me as an individual can use some of the insights that exist in that? Because you've already spoken about how the world is being commoditized. I mean, Amazon is <laughs> the only place you go by and everybody's competing on price. There's thousands of reviews. So you just go for max reviews, minimum price, and nobody makes a care about that transaction. And I'm seeing something similar in the workplace. Like if someone is able to edit a video or do coding, it's like people can find people that deliver the result and it's being very commoditized. Is branding something that we can apply on an individual basis? And are there certain key questions we can ask ourselves to be able to step into a world of branding for ourselves? There's two answers to that question. The first one is for the employee and the second one is for the entrepreneur. For the employee, again, brand is not wallpaper. It's not, you know, what you slap on your product to deliver more product. Brand is everything an organization does, every single thing. The guy that rebranded Airbnb is a friend, and he told me that when the CEO of Airbnb was firing people, Airbnb is about belonging. Their mission is to create a world where everybody belongs anywhere. Their slogan is belong anywhere. They created the global citizen in a way, in a sense. They catapulted the global citizen. And... Even in a termination letter, they recently had to let go of a lot of people. Even in a termination letter, they found a way to bring in a sense of belonging to these people that they were firing. So for the employee, what I'm saying is brand is every decision a company makes. Every single micro decision adds up to an ethos, a vibe, a frequency that is either a clean frequency or it's a noisy frequency. Because in the end of the day, Brand talks to the limbic brain. It's about feeling. It's about the feeling that you get when you walk into a Nike store or when you hear a Harley driving by. For the Harley, it's a reverence. For, the, for Apple, it's clean delight. And every single micro decision that is made either contributes to that emotion or it creates noise in that frequency, period. Because at the end of the day, these brands that I'm talking about, they build a neural pathway between an emotion and a brand. And that neural pathway either gets built with every micro decision or it gets severed with any micro decision. So for the employees, think about brand in a much broader way. You're always, every decision that you make either contributes to the brand or it severs that connection that you're trying to make. As an employee, if I'm working for a company and let's say there is a strong brand 
how much of my alignment to that brand needs to exist? And if there is a disconnect between my own values and what the brand stands for, where I work, is this an indication for me to step away from the brand or to adapt to it? Do you have usually advice for people on the teams? Look, if you're diametrically, you have a diametrically opposing value system, it's probably not a fit, right? Mm. If it doesn't fire you up, it's not a fit. You need to be able to resonate with that ethos, that vibe. You need to be able to merge with that, to become like a hive unit. You need to be able to finish each other's sentences because you're part of the the same frequency. So if Mm. it doesn't fire you up, it's probably not a good fit. But that said, there are companies that build brands to serve them, right? They build the brand because of what I'm going to get out of it, right? True artistry comes when you build a brand to serve it instead of it serving you. It's kind of like parenting. I think the job of a great parent is to, it's about him, about my son. I'm thinking about my son right now. It's not about what I want him to be. He's not an extension of my ego. It's not. I'm not going to tell him to be a doctor or a lawyer when he grows up. You know, it's about him. It's about me understanding his essence and helping him become. And that's the job of a great artist as well. You know, like Michelangelo used to say that David, the statue of David, was in that five meter piece of marble. And his job was to set him free. He was already there. And that's what it feels when any great artist is creating any great piece of art. It's like the writer reports that the characters come alive and tell him the way the story is going to go. Or the musician reports that the song just writes itself. So what it takes is a certain reverence for that piece. Independent of you, you're not it. You serve it. Now, if what you're serving is a tobacco company that you don't agree with tobacco, I don't know, like if what you're serving is something that you diametrically do not agree with, then yeah, it's probably not a good fit. I have an interesting example I think would hit this spot on is interestingly enough, I hadn't been offered a job to be in a VP sales position at a company called Jewel, which makes those e-cigarettes that got really a lot of heat in America. And I was writing my book and I, I talk about this. And in my case, it was like, okay, if I was an avid smoker and I quit smoking and switched to e-cigarettes and it truly transformed my life, then maybe that would have been a company that I would have been very proud to support more people making that switch. But then in my situation, I was a non-smoker and I looked at it more from the lens that, oh, I think I'm going to encourage a lot more people to smoke. And so Mm -hmm. I I love this example because it doesn't need to be labeled as bad or good. It really depends on the intention that you come at it and what you're trying to align yourself with as an individual in that company. So, you know, everybody I'm sure has an opinion on what good or bad comes from that company, but that was the lens that I used to make that decision. In that case, I was like, no, I think I'd rather push humanity forward with, you know, progressive and transformational education at Mind Valley than to try to get more teenagers to smoke a vape, you know? <laughs> right. Now, right. I wanted to yeah. close on that. And you mentioned there was a lens to look at it from the entrepreneur side. Right. So the entrepreneur side, we're talking about personal brands. Mm. And then personal brands have the same dynamic, the same structure as corporate brands but they're much harder to implement well. And the reason is because a corporation, you can put every decision that you make through the filter of the brand. It's rather easy. Actually, it's not that easy. Sometimes you have to let go of revenue to do that. Sometimes you have to let go of opportunities because they're not on brand. But for the person, human beings are three-dimensional. They're multifaceted. They have many contradictions. They're complex. 
But brands are not complex. Brands should stand for one thing and one thing only. They should create one emotion in the customer. So if you look at your personal brand as a product, that product needs to be completely in integrity, completely singular about what it's delivering from a mission perspective, let's call it, and from an emotional perspective. So if you look at the best personal brands in the world, again, they were not done by design. They just kind of happened that way. And in retrospect, you look at them. If you think about peace, what people come to mind immediately? Peace, Dalai Lama. Dalai Lama, Gandhi. Gandhi, exactly. Right. So let's take Gandhi for a second. Everything about him oozed peace from the loincloth to the circular glasses to the tone of his voice. I mean, it couldn't have been styled better. And if you read his biography, (laughs) you know that he's a complex human being like all of us. But to the outer world, the icon of Gandhi was very on brand. Every decision, every element of Gandhi delivered peace. You think about genius, you think about Albert Einstein, let's say. Everything from his hairdo to everything was about genius. So when you're talking about a personal brand, there's two really important questions. One is, what are you here to give? If you're not here to give anything, it's not going to resonate with people. So what is your crusade? What are you here to give? Another way of saying that is what brule, to borrow Vision's term, are you here to destroy? People listening in who don't know what a brule is, it is a bull rule, which is a rule that people follow that have no reason why that's being followed. So I just wanted to add that. <laughs> they mindlessly follow that. So in, mm. the, in the exercise space, people thought that you know, fitness was painful. And we said, that's a bullshit rule, you know, and sorry for my French. <laughs> and, uh, and we said, we positioned against that. We said, ditch the workout, join the party. And with Mind Valley, we think that the education system doesn't serve us anymore. So we're positioning against that. Anyway, you need a crusade as a personal brand. You need like, what do you stand for? What do you stand against? What are you here to give? When all is said and done, what will you have given the world? And then the second really important thing is, what does your brand emote? So if Gandhi emotes peace, what does your brand emote? My personal brand is about intense clarity. It's really intense. When you do a process with me, it's uncomfortable. You have to divorce a lot of concepts and a lot of things. And and all of a sudden, you get the clarity. And that's the peak experience of me as a personal brand. So everything that I do in the public eye needs to deliver that. We're working on a brand book right now and the colors are red, black, and white, intense clarity. Colors of intense clarity, the fonts are chosen from that. The decisions, the business decisions that I make in my life are chosen through that filter. What I'm saying is the same principles that apply for a corporate brand apply for a personal brand. And it's an interesting process you know, to build a brand book for yourself and to acknowledge that whenever you're not in that emotional space and in that crusade that we spoke about, you're off brand. You're out of integrity. At the end of the day, integrity is the only thing brands have, and it's really easy to mess it up. Mm. I mean, we're talking in a world that trust is so hard to come by. I think branding is that one place that we feel we can develop a trust with someone that's actually being consistent in the way they show up, right? Right. And trust is consistency over time. That's it. Mm, If Gandhi all of a sudden showed up with fangs and ripped up jeans, you have to think twice. Is this the same person? 
So intimacy gets, I don't know, some people might have friends that show up differently. Sometimes they're yelling and sometimes they're loving and sometimes, and it's very hard to form intimacy with that person because you have to think about that person every time they come in. It's not, you don't know them with your limbic brain. You can't know them with your limbic brain. And at the end of the day, that's what great brands do. They imprint into your limbic brain. That's my response for employees. Really, every decision that you make has to be on brand. You have to understand what the brand is first and then make sure that every single micro decision that you make, because everything either contributes or detracts. There's no such thing as a zero decision, as as a neutral decision. And then for entrepreneurs, it's the rigor of reducing yourself in the end to a crusade and an emotion, even though you're a human being. Fascinating. Jeffrey, I wanted to end this with one more question that I think would be very like applicable, concrete action item that people could follow here is if I want to go into a place where I want to get a bit more clear on my brand, maybe I've been part of this company, maybe I've been building something, maybe it's fitting within transformational experiential brand, or maybe it's just a functional brand. Yet I want to take steps to get more clear on that. And you've mentioned a few times, it's not like throwing wallpaper up. And I feel like when I think of branding, the first thing people will go is like, I need to know my colors, or I need to know my fonts. What are typically the first things that people should do to be able to tune in that clarity just a little more that they could be able to take action on just by listening to this? Yeah. So let me tell you about the Airbnb story for this. Airbnb used to be a functional brand competed with VRBO and HomeAway. And they're on a race to the bottom. In the world of ubiquity, they're on a race to the bottom. Better prices, you know, stuff like that. But then all of a sudden, they looked at what was unique to the Airbnb experience. They looked for what the peak experience of the Airbnb experience was. What they found was that when your host family invites you to their table to break bread and you feel a sense of belonging, even if you're in a foreign country, you feel that warmth of belonging. That's the Airbnb moment. So they identified their peak experience and then they decided, okay, how do we take this peak experience and stretch it across our entire brand? How do we deliver belonging everywhere? How do we make our business be the business that is creating a world where everybody can belong anywhere? So what I would say is if you're in the functional category and it's a painful place to be, right? Look for what is the intrinsic value of the brand. Look for what is the peak experience of the product experience or experiencing the brand. And in that peak experience, you might find what is unique to you. For Zumba, as I said, it's that moment 20 minutes into the class when the person gets lost in the music. And for Harley Davidson, it's when the person is roaring down the highway with wind in their hair and they feel like a rebel. So zone in on that. And then the next question is, how do you deliver that across everything, not just the graphics and and all of that, but how does your product always deliver that? How can it deliver more of that? How does your culture, both inside and outside the company, deliver that? You know, everything. I love it. 
Jeffrey, thank you for coming and sharing these ideas on branding. This is so powerful to take into consideration. And what we're going to do is for people who are tuning into the podcast, we're actually doing a live stream of this actual recording with our Mindvalley All Access members. If you're not already an All Access member, definitely go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman so you can get a chance to be live with us because we're going to be switching to the Q&A because people are asking questions live and we're going to get a chance to dig into that. But as a recap for what we discussed so far, Jeffrey really wanted us to understand that most of the world is working towards commoditization and branding is really that element that allows you to stand out and not be part of that race to the bottom where your margins get squeezed and everybody else is competing for the same kind of transaction. He mentioned that the three major categories of brands are transactional, experiential, and transformational. And the transactional are the ones that people don't get a much affinity to, don't necessarily have a large loyalty or trust to. But as you move up the scale to experiential and transformational, this is really where you can actually stand out and anchor in on what is truly what you need to focus on to deliver that peak experience for people. We talked a little bit of the differences that can happen when you want to build a personal brand. And if you are an entrepreneur, be clear on what is your crusade? What are you fighting against? What is the problem you're trying to solve? And the other thing is, what is the emotion? What is that feeling that you want to be simplified to? Even if you're a complex human being, this is really the way that you can provide clarity and consistency because those are going to be the key when you want to show up in the world as a personal brand. And as a company, it's not just a question of throwing some cool logos and choosing some brilliant colors. It's about every little action that gets taken based on how clear you are on what your brand is supposed to deliver. So if you're working within a company, how aware are you of the brand? And if you're not, how can you find out more? And if your company hasn't done the work on their brand themselves, this is maybe something you want to bring up to management, which I know will get you some recognition. And there are probably some things that you've seen as a frontline employee that are those magic moments that happen within every transaction. And this could be one of the ways that you can start suggesting to your team and your leaderships that branding will be important. It is going to allow you to grow as a company and is going to be what provides you thriving opportunities in the future. Because if you get drilled down to simply transactional, it becomes a lot more tougher. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver, where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.